Welcome back to Physician Interrupted. I'm Dr. Kernan Mannion, and we're talking with Dr. Michael Langan, an internist and geriatrician who writes at disruptedphysician.com. In the prior podcast, we were talking about the history of the drug testing that is used in PHP, specifically those having to do with alcohol biomarkers. We were talking about how they are laboratory-developed tests and not overseen by the FDA. We saw how the entire clinical process is markedly different from that in other sectors of professional life and how on the basis of a test that may yield a false positive and without any other corroborating evidence, a physician can be ordered to interrupt their practice immediately and be sent for a comprehensive costly evaluation. So then, uh, so we have some really awesome consequences that would fall from this. Now, why hasn't any sort of agency come in and say, wait a minute, you can't use that test in this environment here. That's got such awesome consequences. Uh, I was under the impression, I was under the impression, Michael, that if I understood this correctly, the original reason why these tests were being introduced into the alcohol um, uh, treatment community was to actually be used in a treatment program where somebody actually was maintaining sobriety and simply getting a test like this would allow the program to say, okay, are you really abstaining or are you not? And, and, but it didn't have any consequences in terms of their, their, their ability to work anywhere. It just said, basically, you know, you're either following the program or you're not. But that's with somebody who's in a treatment program. But then it looks like this got transferred over in some way into a screening instrument, right? Well, it was in uh, 2003. Um, its use as a marker for alcohol consumption in the forensic setting uh, was suggested by uh, Dr. Fred Friedrich Wurst, who uh, did a study on, I think, 14 patients in Europe uh, showing that urine ETG could be detected after complete elimination of alcohol from the body for up to 80, 80 hours and then suggested... Mm, okay that it be used as an alcohol biomarker in the forensic setting to improve public health. Um, the forensic setting there, or was that just simply nope, to see if somebody relapsed? Oh, no, no. It was, it was introduced um, um, specifically in physician health programs. Uh, okay. um, the, uh, the head of the Alabama uh, physician health program, uh, Greg Skipper, um, teamed up with uh, Frederick Wurst mm-hmm. and uh, went to um, NMS Labs, I believe, in 2003 and pitched it uh, as a laboratory-developed test, which, again, these were not developed for forensic testing. It was developed for clinical testing. Um, So they introduced it as a forensic test. And without FDA approval, um, the labs were able to to market it as a uh, ultra-sensitive test uh, Mm. uh, for the detection. Wow. I got to get my head around that because what you're saying now is that, number one, so it's not valid as a marker of an alcohol problem. It simply is monitored as uh, exists as alcohol presumably has been compared, uh, consumed, but also that may be a false positive because it could be other substances. Secondly, the length of time. Uh, because it's got an extended length of time, you can't basically retroactively say, oh, somebody was impaired at that particular point in time. Uh, and then what you're now saying also said is that, guess what? It's a laboratory-developed test, so we really don't have any 
established scientific rigor about right. its validity in terms of what do the results mean. And then newly what you're saying here that I'm picking up is that, guess what? A laboratory-developed test was intended for clinical purposes. No laboratory test was developed for a forensic criminal legal uh, purpose. And so what's happening here is that a test that already has flaws to it in terms of its use is now being introduced into a weighty forensic evaluation that could mean life or death to somebody's career. Is that correct? Correct. So from the 1950s, when ETG was discovered, up until 2003, uh, there was no research on the forensic uh, uh, issues. It was not suggested as a test. Hmm. Um, it was only suggested um, at, at this point, based on the 14 uh, patients studied in Europe, mm. and immediately after that test, and based on that test only, um, the first article detailing its forensic implications was published in the Journal of Medical Licensure and Discipline, which is the journal of the uh, Federation of State Medical Boards, mm. uh, by Dr. Skipper, where uh, it's... It, the article was entitled ETG, a new marker to detect alcohol use in recovering physicians. And recovering. Okay. So that, so that was again, the, that is was, the relapse concept, right? Okay. Exactly. So um, in that same article in 2003, Skipper wrote this article and uh, stated that uh, ETG is not detectable unless alcohol has been consumed. Um, and uh, he noted the one study indicating its usefulness was affirmed in these 14 psychiatric patient, uh, patients yeah. and that an ETG above 500 rendered it extremely unlikely that alcohol was not ingested. Mm -hmm. okay. um, and uh, based on that, these were introduced into the physician health programs. So these I were see. first used on physicians in the forensic capacity. Wow. So then has any entity given an opinion about whether this could or could not be used in the forensic environment? Well, over the next three years, um, after it was introduced into the uh, physician health programs, it was also marketed by the lab uh, to other uh, employee assistance programs. Yeah, yeah. Um, in fact, in, in, in the article, uh, Skipper noted that if the, if the test was positive in monitored doctors, it was advisable to refer them for further in-depth evaluation by, by clinicians or programs skilled and adept in evaluating physicians. Mm. Um, so this model was then introduced into other EAPs, Employee Assistance Programs. Mm. But very soon, uh, uh, people started reporting that they didn't ingest alcohol, but they got a positive test. Mm. Mm. Um, and th this accumulated. And ultimately, there was a Wall Street Journal article in 2006 mm. uh, that, that exposed this. And most of the, uh, almost all of the uh, Employee Assistance Program abandoned the you know, that had that had mm. adopted this abandoned ETG. Wow! Uh, it was unabated in the uh, physician health program. Um, so, so, so while other employee assistance programs and other entities said we better not use this in this environment, PHPs persisted in that. They did. Wow! Wow! And, so uh, then, so then, um, I think I recall. Uh, an advisory being put out about that. Yes, that was in 2006, and that's what prompted the the Wall Street Journal article. So the advisory uh, came from who? Uh, the um, SAMHSA. Well, what's uh, that stand for? Uh, Substance Abuse Mental Health uh, 
services. Yeah, that's right. So, so, a mental health, Substance Abuse Mental Health Services Administration, I think. Yeah. It was. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so they put out an advisory and, and that advisory is basically saying, hey, look, caution. Is that right? Yes. That the currently accepted ETG cutoffs, which originally were 100, uh, they were then raised to 250, then 500. Uh-huh. Um, at the time of the SAMHSA uh, advisory, the cutoff was at, at 500. At that point, it was known that hand sanit- sanitizer alone could cause an ETG concentration of above 1,000. And oh, it, uh, the SAMHSA advisory basically said that currently accepted ETG cutoffs do not distinguish between uh, consumption of alcohol and incidental exposures. Wow. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, subsequently sauerkraut, bananas, uh, baker's yeast with yeah. sugar, Wow! Essentially, uh, um, any exposure to ethanol in any manner yeah. uh, could elevate the ETG, including um, uh, you know, someone who would uh, work at a gas station and was uh, pumping gas. Wow. So, um, wow. I mean, that really is quite mind-boggling. So what we have here, then, is we have a PHP system that operates in just about all states in the country using a test that let's call it for simple purposes, false positive, because it's not, men- it's not really referring to the existence of alcohol impairment or, or an alcohol substance use disorder. But yeah. that test is then giving positive results that are not actually clinically validated. And then people are being sent down yeah. an evaluation and treatment chain on that. And then the PHPs are still doing it because I mean they're they're doing it, and yet the the SAMHSA you said has issued this advisory, and is that the only advisory they issued in two thousand six? Oh, there was a subsequent one in two thousand I think two thousand twelve. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, uh, basically, I mean, what I think is a good analogy here is is uh, I measured somebody's triglycerides. You know, after after having a latte in the morning, or, or uh, yeah. you know, there's there's multiple reasons. For have an elevated triglycerides. Have an elevated yeah, triglycerides. Sure. Yeah. Now, if, if if I came out and proposed the hypothesis that elevated triglyceride is substantive proof of eating a McDonald's hamburger every day, <laughs> I would be run out of town on a rail. But that's exactly what they right. did here. Right. Um, right. So you're being uh, sent down. You know, you're basically making a false diagnosis is being yep. made on the basis of. Uh, an isolated test and an isolated, perhaps, yeah. attitude toward the appropriate evaluation and treatment of people who have substance use disorders. But the problem with this is, is that really violates the physician's rights to fairness. And Correct. So then, all right, so let's take a look here for a moment. What happens then if a doc has, uh, this is raised, okay, in a PHP somewhere in the country, and they go, sorry, doc, your urine screen came back for a high ETG, and therefore, you know, all the things that have been said about you, you know, we've got these anonymous complaints, all these things that have been said about you, we think that you really need to have an evaluation at uh, ABC Rehab Center uh, in, uh, in Kansas, right? And so... What can the doctor and the, and the PHP then, I, as I understand, the PHP then goes to the board and says, "We this is what we found, and we're going to recommend they go. And if they don't go, we're not going to endorse them. And so uh, that means they're a danger to the public. And then the board then sanctions their license. That's what I understand the process to be. So what can a doc do? What is the doc supposed to do? Well, what I advise is immediately gather as much information as possible uh, uh-huh. prior to. So if if one was referred to a PHP, 
for suspected alcohol on breath, which is, which is actually uh, you know, the most common reason for referral is uh, uh, an anonymous or uh, specifically from someone, but oftentimes anonymous compl- had yeah. alcohol on his breath. Okay. So what typically happens is, is uh, they're asked to go to the PHP that day. Uh, I advise immediately to either go to the emergency room, contact uh, uh, you know, the chief of medicine or who, you know, whoever to obtain as, as much data as possible including all the direct and indirect biomarkers of alcohol. Correct. Uh, they're not, because there's uh, there's long-term, mid-term, you know, short-acting biomarkers uh, yeah. for alcohol. So, yeah. so, so getting a breathalyzer, getting a urine tox screen, getting a blood alcohol concentration, and also uh, getting things such as liver function test, AST, AG, uh, AST ALT, uh, mm-hmm. GGT, and then uh, carbohydrate deficient transferrin, which has been well established for years uh, in chronic alcohol use, that that is elevated. The CDT. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes. getting all of that immediately, um, yeah. uh, getting a clinical evaluation from a- as many uh, individuals as possible. You know, PCP specialists uh, get referred to. Right, uh, but that uh, takes time, as we know. Right, uh, but, and um, so what you're talking about, right, right away. You're well, saying it's an urgent situation, and it's and, an urgent and, situation because it's career urgent. Correct. Basically. So, right. so it, it it can be made to happen. It's right. uh, it just needs to be done, and it could be done. Um, okay. So, if I'm a doc and I and uh, the PHP says, um, well, let's say my employer says, uh, I'm sorry, we think you uh, you know you have this or that, then my duty right away is to get the full complement of tests that you recommended on my own. And uh, and get a clinical evaluation and make sure that the tests that I'm getting are absolutely proof positive uh, yes. in terms of their validity. In other words, I don't want some uh, some neighborhood lab doing. It. I want to go to the emergency room or an right. urgent care or or employee health and and get those labs run. And then my guess would be you really want them done under some sort of uh, protection, like a chain of custody. Oh. Uh- uh- Absolutely, and also to be as as you know immediately transparent and uh, mm-hmm. vociferous about it as you can that this is what's happening. Okay, um, this is what I want. Uh, uh, right. What I want done. This is why I. Right. This is an emergency. Okay. Um, okay. And so you do that. You get that uh, testing. Now you said something earlier that I uh, I really want to clarify here, if not challenge, and that is so you get sent to the PHP the same day. My experience with people has been that. You don't generally go to a PHP for three to four weeks uh, from the time of referral. Has, have you seen something different on that? Oftentimes, it could be the same day. If uh, ah, okay, uh, all right. I mean, for, for something like alcohol and breath, it would be immediate. Ah, okay, all right. So that has not been, from what I've heard, that's not been uh, my experience with people. But let's say you do. So therefore, then you're saying. Even if you go the same day to the PHP, independent of that, or even uh, prior right. to going, well, there, actually, let me let me clarify that. If, yeah. if, if someone uh, you know is acutely accused of alcohol and breath, or uh, there's other instances where someone was reported at uh, you know, they saw someone drinking at a party on the weekend, or yeah. or or some other you know less specific right. Right. Uh, suggestion that caused the referral, then it may be up to two weeks, but. Um, mm-hmm. But for the acute alcohol in the breath, it's, 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 that's usually immediate. Okay, so, then, so then the advice is basically, let's say it's acute same day, you really, and let's say you are being sent to the PHP, uh, then the purpose here is you're saying, look, because of the concerns of the protocol they use, the approach that they use, it's really going to be in your best interest to get a full complement of tests 
uh, and a clinical evaluation. And we're talking about somebody who is, of course, alleging, hey, look, this is a false accusation. I don't have alcohol present. I don't have other drugs present. Uh, And uh, so, you know, we're not talking here about trying to help somebody get out of a rap, if you will. Right. Oh, no, 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 no. Right, right. uh, We're talking about... Yeah. yeah. I want to clarify that. Yeah. Yes, yes. uh, uh, I mean, there are situations where this is, you know, this is a real problem. Right. That, that's different. Right. This is when somebody is, is accused and, uh, they, right. and there's no basis for it, which is. Okay. Uh, and that's what I really want to clarify because we're not trying to uh, cover up somebody who's got a real substance no. abuse problem. I mean, they need to be evaluated. They need to be taken offline right. uh, and uh, they need to be uh, advised on an appropriate intervention treatment program as needed. So that's not what this is about. What you're saying is that we're concerned about right. uh, the false allegation of the existence right. of a substance abuse syndrome on the basis of isolated tests that are not validated for this use uh, and that are very dangerous and costly to the physician's career. Right, right. Because what should happen yeah. in a situation where someone is actually impaired is that they should immediately get those tests at the yeah. at the uh, yeah. at the point of of uh, the allegation. Yeah, uh, time is is critical. Um, yeah. And then based yeah. on those tests, but that's not what is done. It's it's mm-hmm. uh, all of those responsibilities um, have been delegated to the PHP. Mm-hmm. Right. Just a word from our sponsor, Anchor FM, the organization that is hosting this platform here. Anchor FM is a free podcasting platform, and there's all sorts of creation tools that you can use. They'll distribute your podcast for you. There's a way for you to contribute. So therefore, if you are a podcaster, your listeners can make a contribution, just as I might encourage you to. So there's everything you need to make a great podcast. Get going with it. Download it at Anchor FM, A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. That's right. So, Michael, you know, we've been talking about this idea of using a test that doesn't really correspond with what the actual illness is that they're looking at. And yet docs are being diagnosed with a condition like alcohol abuse or alcohol dependence on the basis predominantly of this test. Isn't that false diagnosis? It is. It's on, on the uh, same level. If In the news recently was a, a Texas doctor. He was a rheumatologist. who was convicted of, of diagnosing patients as young as 13 with rheumatoid arthritis and treated them sometimes for years with unnecessary medications, including chemotherapy. Mm. Now, the, you know, the, the attorney general in that case said that, you know, this was one of the most egregious cases of healthcare fraud uh, that has ever been seen. And he, he oh. you know, he actually commented that it was rare, but seeing someone uh, with condition that they do not have uh, for purposes of treating them for whatever reason is one of the, uh, probably most unethically, uh, morally depraved. It should be a zero, uh, mm. never event. Right. Um, right. Uh, with, it should be, a person should be canceled. They should never practice medicine in their life. It's happening on a daily basis. Wow. And I, I see no difference because it's multi-year events 
as far as I know, in, in, in the uh, Texas doctor case, as well as there was right, who was diagnosing patients with cancer and treating them with chemotherapy, yeah. as far as I know, none of those patients died. They were treated with potentially toxic medications for years, yes. but you know, yeah. financially, emotionally scarred case. I, it, the rate of, of suicide in these um, um, physicians health programs yeah, is high. Yes, yes, yes. So, so it's uh, it's not only um, unseen, but it's mm. uh, horrendous, and, that, and that's what needs to be uh, grasped. There needs wow. to be a, a, a fairness. I need, so, what you're saying is that so we got this uh, whole environment of setting somebody up for a false evaluation and a false diagnosis, and then right. handling them down a treatment system. That is not an objective treatment system. Yep. They've been deprived of objecting to the diagnosis, of introducing different information. They've been deprived of calling attention to the fact that the test may have been invalid to begin with, being sent down for this costly evaluation, and there's no guarantee that that evaluation is necessarily a valid one. And they're still being opposed in terms of any ability to the accusations. And so really what you have is a false diagnosis right, phenomenon right. here. And one of the problems here is there's a uh, inherent in the in in how this is operated. Um, it, it gives the appearance it's been validated by individuals, multiple agencies, but difficult to determine individual wrongdoing because of this division of responsibility and diffusion of it. Um, so that any um, any Basically, what it puts in place is accountability firewall. Someone who's referred uh, to a PHP, as long as uh, you know that person's referred for a uh, in good faith, yeah. um, it gives the appearance that uh, the, nothing was done wrong, even though they could have been referred for sure. nefarious well, even, reasons. So, so let's say that they were referred in good faith. It wasn't a hostile, motivated uh, uh, complaint. So there would be, as with the North Carolina um, audit. Um, abuse could take place and not be detected. And that's one of the reasons yeah, it's, exactly it's not right. detected is because a referral, that's the extent of the decision-making process at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, so this medicalization of uh, behavior, seeing someone of abuse, alcohol and breath, or behavioral yeah. issues, yeah. that is a, uh, can be hidden under that. Uh, the motivations can be hidden. And, mm-hmm. and easily yeah. hidden and, and unable to be detected. Well, for example, competition. If you wanted to get rid of a competitor, you know exactly the Supreme Court uh, in the North Carolina uh, Dental Board versus the Federal Trade Commission cited that very example. And that is, look, uh, I don't care whether you're alleging that you're a state agency. I don't, le- I don't care whether you're uh, alleging that the governor appointed you. And here is, is that if you are in a profession consisting of the majority that's sitting on that board and you're ruling on entities pertaining to that specialty, whether within or outside of that specialty, there is always the potential for hostile intent. And that is why safeguards need to be put into place. And that really was the thrust of the North Carolina dental decision. And what we have here is a false diagnosis can be made with impunity and what strikes me about that, Michael, is that somebody who is experiencing this in a just world you would have a voice where you could object to being funneled down this process via a false diagnosis. But here, a false diagnosis is made, and the person who is objecting is discounted. 
and then is being told, I'm sorry, you're just a whiner and you're just in denial. And I can only imagine the consequence of moral injury that occurs as a result of this. I mean, I, I would imagine the moral injury to be so great as to be just can't get your head around it and you just are forever embittered by it. And that it's actually insurmountable because not only is the individuals the matter discounted, contrary information or evidence in support of that position is also discounted. Well, you know, that's what we're finding at CPR, in fact. What we're finding is that so many people are having a hard time getting their heads around this. And so uh, it's like, well, no, I'm sorry, that just can't be. No, that false diagnosis can't be being made, can it? People can't be being sent down this funnel and being deprived of their rights, can they? And what you were saying in this drug testing component here, and what I've been saying in other avenues, is indeed it can happen, and it is happening. And it is happening in a, a systemic way, in yes, a, a, large, a systematic yes. uh, way where, the, you know, over the, since the publication of uh, the Medscape article, Physician Health Programs, More Harm Than Good, in yes. 2015, the numbers of stories are, as you know, they're yeah, uh, in the hundreds now, and and the patterns are uh, identical. Yeah, and I can corroborate that in terms of my experience. I've done over 120 curbside consultations over the past year alone, and the patterns are remarkably similar. And the details may be different as far as, uh, uh, but 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 the uh, the essence is essentially. The stories are the same. Yeah, Different details. So what we have here is that we have a false. We have a false test that is used to validate a false diagnosis to funnel somebody into an illegal, unfair system that they're not going to have a fair evaluation, and all the while they're being denied of due process and a fair hearing by being labeled as whiners and just in denial. And then, meanwhile, right. we have anybody who comes to their rescue, including CPR and saying, no, this is wrong, we also then are, are prone to being discounted because we're just taking up for, you know, society's dangerous alcoholic doctors. Right, right, right. And so it's like, wow, what a what a wall of opposition. If we can just help people understand, guess what? This is the reality. This is what's going on. You know, I want you to just comment here, if you would, for a moment on the notion of what are the consequences of that to someone? What happens? The con- consequences are enormous. And uh, not only to the accused physician, but to his family, his patients, and you know society in general. This it's it's uh, the fact that there's no there's no viable redress at this point. Um, so you know there needs to be a, uh, a an awareness and a, a culture shock on this because it, the realization of what is actually happening. That I think that is the first step in in exposing this. Exactly. Well, you know, the good news uh, on this is that those who are regarded as having an illness or impairment, one of the things that we've discovered in our pretty intensive study of the Americans with Disabilities Act with an attorney who is most knowledgeable of this Mm -hmm. indicates to us that people who are regarded as having a disability, independent of whether they actually have a disability or impairment, independent, see, that if you're regarded as having a disability or impairment by a state agency or any entity that falls under the ADA. Title I includes the hospitals that employ physicians. Title II includes the medical boards. Title III includes the freestanding PHPs. And if a PHP, by the way, has any sort of governmental authority and it's seen as exercising inclusive governmental authority, it's also a Title II entity. And as a result of that, they are all subject 
to the regulations of the ADA. Now, what does that mean? What that means is that you can't make a false diagnosis. You have to go through a protocol of evaluating the validity of whether someone should be referred for this evaluation. And if you haven't done that intensive study, guess what? You are likely in violation of the ADA. So I think that what I see on the horizon here are some really interesting possibilities to challenge this enormous crime of false diagnosis. And I find that very encouraging. And I think that, uh, again, even if somebody does have a valid substance abuse issue, I think it's going to be very important for them to get this evaluation done to basically corroborate the findings uh, elsewhere and to then determine, okay, what is the presence here? What's going on here? Because I could actually foresee a potential problem where somebody in the past, let's say, Oh, let's say as a med student, you had a DWI, okay, and it's cleared, it's off the record, done, you're in med school, you're in practice, uh, and then you got drunk at a party, let's say, you drank too much at a party on a Saturday, your colleague says, boy, you were really acting inappropriate, and then Monday, uh, you get sent to the PHP, the PHP does a test, you have you have no uh, impairment, uh, you have no active uh, testing from that time, you're fine on Monday, uh, and then the person is saying, hey, uh, I'm sorry, you have a positive uh, ETG, and off you go to four-day evaluation. And I'm thinking that this this kind of a thing could really be used to um, to harm someone uh, oh. as a result of false accusations. Is that fair? Oh, it is. And it's increasingly in the past few years, the PHPs have widened the net to include medical students. And uh, uh. These are some of the saddest cases I've heard because they're they're snuffing out careers before they right. even began, and um, and oftentimes um, I mean I've heard of of uh, people being referred uh, out of uh, jealousy or spite or or, or uh, and, and and guaranteed a, a, if if someone did have a, a DUI in the past being referred to a PHP um, and even without testing positive on the uh, the ETG they would be referred. Uh, uh-huh. Uh, for an evaluation, right? Uh, for a mistake they made years ago, right? Um, right. It, it uh, but that uh, alone is a common basis for referring to a four-day evaluation, mm. and uh, inevitably that's uh, uh, results in recommendations for treatment. Mm. And medical students, yeah. if they don't have the, uh, th- this is all out of pocket, mind you. These tests yeah. and the evaluations are not covered by insurance. Wow. Um, so. Uh, you know, it often ends up ending careers right there because uh, if you can't afford the $5,000 evaluation, that's the end of your medical career. Wow. So then I got a couple more questions before we bring this to a close. Uh, The first one has to do with, this is theoretical, uh, and I'm just going to throw this out there, and that is, why is this being done? Why is this kind of false positive testing being allowed and, you know, people being sent to these four-day evaluations and whatever happens from there, is this really on the basis of protection of patient safety or are there some other reasons? Uh, uh, The sole basis, in my opinion, is uh, opportunism and greed. There is, uh, you know, there's no valid reason for doing this. um, other than you know, than those who uh, profit from these tests. Mm, okay, and so then, who is actually profiting from the test? Do you think? Uh, well, the uh, the 
private laboratories that are uh, affiliated with the PHPs, mm -hmm. the treatment centers that are uh, um, ah. assessing and treating these individuals. Uh -huh. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of conflict of interest that is is, is incredible. That it, it, if this were a uh, uh, imagine if this were a, a a drug that had come to market. I mean, the the, the level of conflict is almost incestuous. Yeah. Um, I mean, if, if if you know, if you look at the uh, the this guy who introduced it, I mean, he's you know the, the head of a, a physician health program of a state physician health program. He's involved uh, in the testing and he's worked at the treatment centers. Yeah. Wow. So what I'm really struck by here is that this has a quality of being predatory and. Yeah opportunistic yes yeah yeah wow and uh, and docs you know i think most docs understand the php to be a benevolent entity that oh it's a psychiatric entity and i can trust the psychiatric ethics and what i'm hearing here is well maybe you need to reconsider that correct and i think through you know the frame of common sense and also the you know through critical reasoning yeah, you know, this can be seen for what it is. It's, uh, I mean, during this time period, um, any rational authority, uh, you know, would have admitted, you know, there was that this test is is of no value and removed the test from the market. Yeah. Uh, their approach here is has to been to add other laboratory developed tests, minor metabolites of alcohol, such as uh, ETS and uh, the PETH test, which is the latest. The ETS has already been debunked, and the PETH test is on its way to being debunked. There's a mm. false positive wow. reported. Uh, mm. So then, the simple fact is, this is a, a, a billion dollar market. Yeah, test. well, it certainly, but it's only used on uh, in professional health programs such as PHPs, and also in the uh, uh, criminal justice system and mm. probationers, parolees. Uh, mm -hmm. Essentially, it, it's only being used on groups who. Uh, do not have uh, um, any choice in the matter. Who do not have what? I'm sorry. Any choice. You're right. Um, exactly. And that's part of this. Held. Right. 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 That's part of this uh, false exceptionality of physicians. Right. Uh, that they're uh, treated differently than the rest of the population. Um, yeah. So then, in closing here, let's say that this has happened to me, and uh, so I get the testing here, then, and the results come back. Okay, and the results come back. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, you got a positive ETG, but you know, alcohol uh, current level is empty, none, zero. Uh, breathalyzer is negative. Uh, uh, so, what am I supposed to do with that information if the PHP is saying, "I'm sorry, you got a positive ETG. You're going off to uh, Sing Sing." What do I do? What am I, what am I going to do with that information? And should I get a lawyer to deal with this? Yes, uh, that, that's essential. A lawyer who will um, who will support these findings. Uh, and uh, and uh, part of, you know part of the problem is a lot of the lawyers in this system will not address the uh, questionability of these tests. Huh, why not? Um, if if, um, if that's the case, that uh, lawyer needs. Uh, yeah. You you can't use that uh, that attorney yet. Yeah. Um, the reason they're not is because they're often referred. Every state has on on average three or four uh, attorneys who represent uh, physicians before the medical boards mm. who are involved with PHPs. So it's uh, it's mm. it's uh, saturated uh, with those oh. types of individuals. So finding an attorney who will 
represent your interests is the most important. Uh, so you might not, you might even step into a situation where you think you're getting adequate defense, and yet the counsel that you have representing you is not necessarily yeah. in your true right. Defense. At at at, uh, at best, it's ineffective uh, counsel here. Oh my! Uh, and also, what I'm hearing is that you know, if many of our listeners are, if this is new to them in terms of the newness of the false positivity, if you will, of ETG, can imagine what it is to most lawyers. They probably have a hard time getting their heads around the invalidity, the inapplicability of the test. They do. In fact, uh, the attorneys who are not, uh, you know, who have not been involved in the administrative law Right. medical licensing board system. Right. And a lot of them will, uh, you know, up front say, I, I, you know, this is a slam dunk. I can get rid of it in five minutes. And then they're like a deer in the headlights when uh, yeah. it, it doesn't occur as, as planned. Yeah. Um, but the simple fact is, is all, all of the contradictory information is just uh, disregarded. It's, it's completely yeah. discounted and decisions are based uh, solely on the PHP's narrative and, uh, you know, their testing yep. and their uh, assessment. So the lawyer then who's representing somebody with this has to understand what the problem is, not only with the testing itself, but also the entire structure of how this process goes. Exactly. Right. It's, okay. Uh, that is simply amazing. Well, you know, you and I are planning to do actually a webinar on this very issue of drug testing in PHPs and in the medical regulatory therapeutic complex as a whole. If you are interested in joining us for the webinar on drug testing and PHPs, be sure to visit CPR, the Center for Physician Rights, on www.physicianrights.net and sign up for the upcoming webinar, and we'll be sure to notify you of when it is going to be broadcast live, and if you can't make it, how to access it as a recording. We'll also be discussing the sorts of strategies that you might want to consider in terms of approaching the matter of unfair or unauthorized testing or false diagnosis in a legal manner. Now, let it be said again that neither I nor Michael are lawyers. However, we've had enough experience with regard to physicians being harmed by these entities to know that one really needs to have a knowledgeable and trustworthy advocate defending your rights against a system that is prone to compromise those rights. So what we'll be doing is we'll be having a deeper dive beyond the overview webinar, and that deeper dive will enable you to take a look at how drug testing is playing itself out in the PHP system, the costs that are entailed, the consequences that have occurred, and also how you might go about representing yourself and finding counsel to represent you to counter the unauthorized use of testing and the consequences that have ensued. So be sure to keep your eyes out for that webinar if this is something you want to do a deeper dive on. Thank you so much for joining us for this edition of Physician Interrupted. Again, thank you, Michael. Thank you, listeners. And we'll see you again next time. Till then, may all interruptions be on behalf of your well-being. Take care.